This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Amazing people that aren't us. Claire Duffy is an English teacher, the director of debating and public speaking at the Scots College in Sydney, and she's got a brand new book called The Australian Student's Guide to Writing and Grammar, which I think is going to help out a new generation of kids to be able to write and speak well. It's not on accident that we're talking to her. No, not on accident at all. It's Claire Duffy. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Did you get that? On accident? By accident? Yeah. You're very polite. You're very polite. That's a a prepositional flip. I I think it's a bit early for me to be correcting your your grammar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would just jump on in the deep end. Oh, (laughs) righto. Now, um, Claire, what led you to write this book? I'm a teacher. Every day I see kids struggling to put into writing what they can say out loud pretty well. And I'm also old enough to have grown up in a time where we began each day um, doing grammar exercises, parsing things and uh, naming parts of speech and so on. And I think that unlike the rest of the school population at the time, I actually enjoyed doing this um, and was pretty good at it and could see how it helped um, being a writer. Um, And these days, since grammar stopped being taught in school, there are whole generations of people who don't understand the anatomy of the language. And I think that that prevents them from using it as well as they could. So it's kind of like taking a look under the bonnet and seeing how the engine works. And, you know, then when you understand the machine, you can you can make better use of it. So I'm on a mission um, to make people have as much fun learning to use grammar well as I did when I was a kid. It's it's interesting because I really love words, you know. So I, you know, I like a salacious word and a vexatious word, and when it can bring <laughs> bring some whimsy into mm. our lives, I enjoy it a lot. But the problem is when I put that on a on a sentence, it uh, mm. it sounds absolutely horrible. And I think that's because I don't understand prepositions and nouns and how they all work together really well, and I leave a whole bunch of stuff dangling. You've just conveniently given me all of the things that can go wrong with a a sentence. So I think really what we want to do is be understood. We want to be able to say what we want to say clearly without confusion. And the words like dangling are because we sometimes confuse um, a sentence, and I'll have to get technical here. One of the worst offenders is the dangling participle. So um, Mm. I was waiting at the bus stop when suddenly it hit me. My sentences are sometimes confusing. Well... The it sounds as though it refers to the bus, but it doesn't. It refers to the thought, and that's a dangling participle. At this point, I think we're running the risk of losing our audience because that's starting to be um, a bit more technical than most of it can handle. But I think you understand how the meaning is not clear because of the way that you've placed the words in the sentence. Claire, I can tell from speaking to you that you've got a great love and joy for the English language. Uh, What is it that you love so much about grammar and punctuation? I think it's quite fun to play with it. Um, For me and and the kids that I teach, it's like doing a puzzle. The way that you can change the meaning of something um, simply by, for example, relocating a comma. So if you say um, on awards night, I'd like to thank the principal, my coach and my parents, that's going to be all right. But if you write that down, depending on where you put the comma, maybe you're talking about people because the principal and your coach are also your parents or maybe you're talking about four people oh hang on three people (laughs) the principal my coach and my parents like where the comma goes radically alters 
the meaning of the words and the sentence and, and what you intend to say. And it's, I find it very entertaining um, messing around with that sort of a thing and switching the order of words in sentences can completely alter their, their meaning. So, you know, Santa visited only us. Santa only visited us. Mm. Very different sort of a thing to say. Mm. Absolutely. It's like when you have grandma over to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's eat, grandma. Yeah. <laughs> are you eating, grandma, or are you saying, Let's eat, exclamation mark, grandma? That's a, yeah, there's a whole lot of fun that you can have. Uh, Claire, you've done a lot of study, a lot of reading, a lot of writing to make this book. What, what are the most common mistakes that people make when it comes to writing and, and in terms of punctuation and grammar? What, what, what have you found? Right. Well, if, first of all, I'm going to take issue with the notion of mistakes. And I think we need to be very careful when we start talking about the rules of grammar. And I think one of the reasons grammar has a bad name is that people are a bit frightened um, of it. There really aren't rules in grammar in the way that there are rules of the road or rules of golf. There are a a sort of a set of conventions that we've all agreed on. And it's true that there are some things that matter more than others. So if you're going to be understood and to present yourself as well as you possibly can, there are some things that really do matter. And spelling is certainly one of them. If your spelling is sloppy, then people who read your stuff are going to interpret this as the tip of a very nasty iceberg. They might think, well, okay, if the person's spelling is sloppy, then maybe the person is sloppy overall. So um, common spelling mistakes um, and the bane of any teacher's existence are things like the difference between your and your and there and there. And these sometimes are a result of um, the dreaded apostrophe, which is always a quick way to start a long and vigorous dispute is when you start talking about apostrophes. But people are just not clear on how they need to punctuate certain things correctly and they can wind up embarrassing themselves because they don't look as good as they could or as good as they want to. And that's, I think, the important thing rather than saying you're right or you're wrong. It's are you appropriate for the audience that you want to get to and are you presenting yourself as well as you possibly can? I'm curious about um, one of the other passions that you have. Um, in your mm-hmm. er- earlier book, you, you spent a lot of time speaking about public speaking, which is a passion of yours as well. And we know that the two largest fears in Earth are fear of public speaking, <laughs> number one, mm. and fear of death, mm. number two. Yeah. To a person who's frightened of public speaking, getting up in front of Mm. a large crowd or even a small crowd sometimes of people can be overwhelming. What would you say is the key to giving a good message as a public speaker? I think it's really important to honour the fear. It is daunting. And like any physical skill, and this also goes for writing um, and spelling, it's Practice makes perfect. So one of the main reasons that people are frightened of speaking or presenting themselves in public is that they haven't done it very often and so they haven't had the chance to get comfortable with it. And, you know, it is daunting. And um, I'm a reasonably experienced speaker and I'm absolutely sure you're experienced speakers being professional broadcasters. And, and it is daunting and you do have to sort of get used to it. So... Understanding that your nervousness is an internal state and it's not something that everyone can see is really important. So in a sense, you can fake it. The other thing is to make sure that you have prepared yourself as well as you possibly can. 
Um, there's really good research that shows that rehearsing makes a big difference to the confidence with which people present themselves. And rehearsing in front of an audience who are unfamiliar to you is one of the best ways of practising. So if you're going to do a speech in public, then you can, if you're a young person and they're the ones I mainly deal with, maybe you do it for your family. But if you want to ramp up the pressure a little bit, go and speak to some people you don't know so well. Invite the neighbours in, uh, a friend's parents, somebody who is, is not quite quite so intimate with you and who might not be quite so forgiving. And once you get used to experiencing the pressure, you are much better able to handle it. And there's also just a simple physical skill that if you've got a prepared speech to deliver, if you've gone over it lots and lots and lots and lots of times, and I mean, I do say to students, you should only stop practicing when you'd rather dig ditches than run through it another time, then your face, your lips, your teeth, your tongue, your voice, they're used to making those noises and making those shapes and if the nerves strike and they will then you're much better able to cope with it and it won't be such a big setback. Claire I imagine there's people uh, there's kids especially in cars across Sydney now listening to this going to school <laughs> and uh, and some of them might feel defeated by the English language that they don't feel like they can get a good grasp on it they're not getting good marks in English what would you say mm. to encourage them to keep going and keep trying to to wrangle with the tricky parts of grammar and spelling? Well, read. The main thing I say is if you're a person who's reading a lot, then you're just exposing yourself to the way the language works. It doesn't, in the end, matter that you can name a noun and a verb and a preposition and all those sorts of things. It does help to have a lot of exposure to the written language. The more you see it, the more you absorb how it works. And there's a kind of osmosis which takes place and it just goes into your head. Also, if you're reading good writers and you probably are, then you're getting a feel for the way that language can be used. So the way that we can use metaphors and similes and create pictures in people's heads and get great ideas off the page, that's because somebody's learned to be creative and to mix their words up in a new and unusual way. And it's why you find a book exciting. It's why you find a book riveting or interesting. The more you do of that, the more you're going to find that your writing improves because you just sort of soak it in. That said, um, there is a bit of grunt work to do. It is important to just learn those words that you have trouble spelling. You just have to say them over and over again and practice writing them in interesting sentences. Um, learn the things that you have a little bit of trouble with. And I do in the book, um, I, I hope, offer all sorts of practical tips um, which young people can take themselves. But it's not something to be afraid of. Language is your friend. You actually use it all the time, every day, perfectly easily without thinking about it. It's just making this transition to putting it down on the page that people find a bit daunting and they get a bit frozen. But, you know, as I said earlier, practice makes perfect and you will be able to get better if you just keep on doing it over and over again. Before we go, can we just run through a few um, of our audience's grammar gripes? Please. Um, because yeah, these ahead. came through this morning. I mean, there's too many we can mention because there's so many of them. Um, mm. Someone said uh, when a lot is spelt alot. Thanks, oh, yeah. Alice. Yeah, yeah, that's just wrong. <laughs> that's just wrong. It's just wrong or else it's somebody playing with it. So um, um, I have a regular email correspondent who writes not a lot in the subject line when it's just a kind of, you know, chatty catch-up. Um, but that's being jokey. A lot is two words. Mm. End of story. Uh, practice and practice. A lot of mm. people struggle with that one. Mm. I remember learning this when I was in year five. If it ends in I-C-E, it's a noun. So I must do my piano practice. Ends in a C because my 
piano practice is a thing, it's a noun. Um, if you're doing the thing, doing the practice, it's a verb, and that's the one that ends in an S. So you have to say to yourself, could I put the in front of the word practice, in which case it will get a C, the last half of the word is ice, and that's also a noun. Supposedly and supposedly? I've never come across that one. Um, <laughs> if someone's saying it, then they're obviously mispronouncing it. But if I saw that one written down, then the red pen would wail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> word, the, the word is supposedly. There can be no doubt about that. Brang? Oh, no. <laughs> I brang it to, okay. to school. Okay, so this comes because um, of irregular verbs. Bring, brung, <laughs> brought. No, irregular I bought it to school, miss. I bought it into school. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very much a kiddie error. And one of the things that I think is quite enjoyable is that if you do know a very young kid, they make those mistakes as part of their language acquisition. So a toddler will say brang and you'll forgive them for it. You'll think that they're getting on quite well with their past tenses. But if it makes it into about year two, then I think you'd need to correct them. So that's just a baby mistake. I think we can forgive it, but it's definitely wrong. What about an inquiry about your inquiry? Oh, that one. Um, <laughs> last time I looked, inquire and inquire are just equivalent. So it's just a matter of personal preference. Okay. I don't know if you've noticed, but enclosed and enclosed are the same. And the public schools of New South Wales all carry a tin sign on their gates, which says this is enclosed land, I-N-C-L-O-S-E-D. And I remember um, uh, a mate of mine who's a, a bit of a grammar pedant getting all snippy about this and saying you would think the Department of Education could spell its signs properly. But in fact, those are equivalents and, and either of them is acceptable. I always thought that this was related to the size. So I always thought, like, you enclose it in an envelope, but, like, for instance, in the school, it's an enclosed environment because it's it's a much larger space. And I'm obviously completely wrong because they're the exact same. uh, No, well, you know, maybe we should check with a higher authority than either (laughs) either of us um, because that's not something that I've heard. But if I'm... Yeah, no, look, I get... I've just had a quick look... (laughs) I get that enclosed was once an accepted variant, but it's faded out of use now um, and might be good. Oh, right. So it's one of those um, archaisms that uh, it's just drifted out of use, I think. Uh, one more before we go, because this is one that mm. I'd never thought of before. Someone called in this. Uh, someone called in yesterday morning saying that I'm loving it uh, is an incorrect term and McDonald's have been using it wrong because of the way that you use the, the word love. You would, oh. you would love it rather than I'm loving it. I don't see a problem with that. Okay. I can't see what's wrong. I'm loving talking to you. Oh, um, stop it. Stop it, Claire. Oh, no, I have to say that, yeah. I'm loving I'm loving um, people being interested in reading my book. I, I mean, yeah. I can be loving. And the it is a, you know, the third person personal pronoun. It's standing in for the experience that you're having. So I'm loving eating my Big Mac. I mean, I don't see a problem with that at all. Well, but that, that would be my question. What is it <laughs> that you are loving? Because I feel oh, like well, the sentence okay. is incomplete. All right, then that takes us into context. And you you make that judgment depending on where the sentence is located. And we know because of where the sentence is located what they're talking about. Sure, if it was just standing alone, unattached to something. But in the context of an advertisement, we do... It's a, I think it's stretching it a bit 
to say that we yeah. don't know what they're talking about. Come on, come on, Claire. You know rule yeah, yeah. number one: text without <laughs> text without context is a pretext yeah, exactly. for whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> well put. Yes, uh, Claire Duffy's new book, The Australian Student's Guide to Writing and Grammar, is available now. Uh, thank you so much for educating us and just sharing your love of language uh, with not only us here on the radio, but through this book and across Australia. I think kids who read this book are going to be better off for it. Well, Claire, in the words of the grammar professor Yoda, delightful it was (laughs) talking to you. Thankful we are. Uh, I thankful am also very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.